This is Indian Art History by Mash Podcast. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Indian Art History by Mash Podcast. I am your host Ayushi Jorasia and today we will be talking about Ajanta Caves. Mired with mystery, but over the years scholars like Vidya Dahejia and Walter Spink have really helped a common woman like me to comprehend just a little bit of what the myriad structures, paintings and sculptures at Ajanta Caves might mean. A UNESCO World Heritage Site, Ajanta Caves are essentially, and obviously the name gives it away, are rock-cut caves which served as a monastic complex decorated with beautiful paintings, sculptures and various architectural features. They were built in two phases. The first phase was built between the 2nd century BCE and the 1st century BCE by the Satvahana kings. The second phase was built in the 5th century CE or AD by Maharaja Hari Sena from the Vakataka clan. Now these caves are cut into the hills and valleys of the Western Ghats in present-day Aurangabad in Maharashtra. These hills and valleys are the largest volcanic structures on earth. Also known as the Deccan Trap, these basalt formations are step-like hills. They have an outer hard layer along with the inner soft layer which makes rock cutting very easy. So this site was well suited not just in terms of the ease of engineering and architecture at that point of time but also because the ghats were a store of a large number of minerals and there was always an abundant supply of water from the underground springs. In addition to that and most importantly the popular trails and routes that lead up to Ajanta were linked to the ancient trade routes so it's not like that the head priest chose the pious place because of how pious he feels about the location their prime aim was to serve a religious purpose but at the same time be functional and practical The world today likes to think that Ajanta caves were discovered accidentally by an English army man, John Smith, while he was on a hunting expedition in 1819. However, the larger narrative which is conveniently forgotten is that this chap called John Smith made sure to scratch his name above a painting of Buddha inside the cave. We the colonized call this behavior colonial sophistication which sort of inspired several rahul love sweeties um that was supposed to be a joke but on second thoughts i would like to think that that is how these monuments evolved in the continuum of time and it very much gets involved in the various events in the history of the monument So of course after that there was a flood of researchers academicians archaeologists and artists who flooded Ajanta caves with their curiosity led pilgrimages to pay their due diligence to the mysteries surrounding the caves I found an interesting set of events that unfolded in the beginning years of this international interest in the caves in three different events in 1866 1875 and in 1923 at three different locations all away from india the entire collection of reproductions and imitations of ajanta paintings murals either got ruined in fires or an earthquake by 5th century ce 
Buddha started to be revered as the living legal head of the monastic community. Being considered as the juristic personality, he was thought of as someone who could do all the things that a human being could do or even more. He was thought of as living within the complex. There are inscriptions in Ajanta that tell us of the transactions and gifts made directly in Buddha's name by the wealthy and the royalty. He was considered as the direct recipient of the property. This also led to a design change in the way. He was depicted for both the piety as well as the intellectual monastic order. Up until now, he was being sculpted or drawn using an iconic representations, such as a throne, feet impressions, horse, an umbrella, a stupa, a lotus, and many others depending on different episodes of his life story. But from the 1st to the 5th century CE, the aniconic representations started evolving and shifting to iconic representation. Simply because of the change in the way he was being perceived by the followers and the monastic order. As he starts getting considered as the legal owner of the monastery by the 5th century CE, he starts getting recognized as a force of the juristic head living inside the monastery. We get to see the first anthropomorphic Buddha in the form of human limbs and body. Rola Bartz says that narrative is international, transhistorical, transcultural, and is simply there like life itself. Storytelling has occurred universally, and human cognition has found different modes to do so. The storytelling or building narrative through visual art symbols preceded language, and so we developed distinctive modes of visual narrative. In Buddhist art and specifically of Ajanta caves, visual narrative played a key role in educating and understanding the religion of the followers and the monastic order, because of which there were many styles in which the stories were presented and they depended on many factors. Firstly, it depended on the artists and their distinctive styles. Each artist would mix colors differently. Each had their own stylistic motifs. For example, one artist would draw a lotus in a different way from the other. In Ajanta, there are many instances of a single mural and relief work that shows distinct stylistic motifs and colors, which suggests that perhaps two or three artists have worked on them. The narrative style also depended on the patrons. Say, if there is a single patron who has donated for a certain section, it would also mean a single designer has been put to design that section. Along with that, the narrative style depended on the choice of modes of narration. These choices and modes of narration depended on the surface area of the wall, as simple as that, as well as on how these stories will be distributed across that chosen area. If they have a single wall to tell a long story, they would employ certain modes to draw or paint the whole story within that single wall. Let me break it down further. Almost all stories are described through actions that unfold during the course of the story. Any scene depicted using the protagonist plus the elements and the objects of space and time within the story. Now the artists decide how to portray the action using the protagonist and other objects that enhance the action. Now the artist also decides how he or she is supposed to arrange and compose different events that unfold within a story. They basically divide the story into a series of distinct episodes or scenes. 
In certain panels, the artists drew a single scene identified as an excerpt from a larger narrative. For example, Maya's dream panel reoccurs in Ajanta as well. We call them the monoscenic mode. Another example of the monoscenic mode could be of a panel consisting of an enlarged form of Buddha with a bowl in his hand. He is standing next to the smaller forms of his wife Vasundhara and son Rahul. He is seen seeking alms or bhiksha from his own family, all depicted in a single frame telling an important event that took place in Buddha's life. Another form would be the continuous narrative. Long continuous panels are often used to narrate more than one episode of the same story. Here the key is the size of the panel. They are either wide or rectangular, where the story continues like in a scroll which helps us distinguish between one scene from another. Same character is repeated in different scenes. This continuous narrative mode is used in one such vertical format panel. Buddha is descending from the heavens to the ancient city of Sankisa. The level at the top shows our man Buddha giving sermons to his mother and gods. The level in the middle shows him descending, while the lower level shows him on earth addressing the monks and the worshippers. Here Buddha occurs thrice in succession. The artists also used the synoptic narrative mode. This mode continues and becomes really prominent in the Mughal and the Pahadi miniatures. In this style, several scenes or episodes are depicted within one frame. The same characters reappear within the single visual field, so it becomes hard to distinguish the scenes. It is hard in itself to imagine that such a style can exist, but it tells us how vividly the artist thought. Bending the normal, codifying the narrative for the viewer to simplify. This was made for the viewer well versed with the story. This almost appeared as a riddle for the most academic followers to solve, or so I would like to think. The story of Mahakapi Jatak, which is of the great monkey. This story of the great monkey has often repeated itself in various formats but appears synoptically every time. In Ajanta, it appears in a T-shaped panel. The story of the monkey is from the Jatak tales that recounts Buddha's avatar as a vanar, that is, a monkey. Let me tell you a little bit of a story. In this Jatak, the Bodhisattva was born as the great monkey in a Himalayan forest among the monkey tribe. Near the bank of Ganga grows a rare tree that bears divine and delicious figs. The great monkey and his monkey friends and family abode this tree. And of course, they are devouring the delicious figs with utmost care so as not to drop any fig. However, everybody makes mistakes and once a ripe fruit falls into the water of Ganga, a fisherman catches the fruit and shows it to the king and queen of Banaras who are sort of picnicking near the spot. The king goes to the spot and finds the monkey troop eating the delicious fruit. The annoyed and angry king orders his army to shoot the monkeys with bows and arrows of course. The great monkey helps the other monkeys to escape. He makes a bamboo bridge to the tree on the other side of the river, but the bamboo bridge falls short. So he extends himself at the end of the bridge and the monkeys tread over his body to the other side safely. 
At this point of time, the king of Banaras is filled with deep emotion and regard at the sight of the Bodhisattva rescuing his kin at the expense of his own safety. The king stops his army and shoots an arrow that helps Bodhisattva to come down. This story is depicted in a T-shaped panel. In the whole panel, the characters repeat themselves and it becomes difficult for the viewer to identify the start and the end of the story. It has almost been like a code for the historians to solve the dense illustrations depicting the story. It required a lot of careful inspection along with the background knowledge of Buddhism. Now these formats or these modes have sort of continued and evolved in the way we tell a story irrespective of which format we are telling the story in. And in fact these modes are still evolving. More or less they have defined and helped the evolution of the art of India. Thank you so much for listening. The show was written and hosted by Ayushi Chaurasia and it was produced by Soumya Parashar.